We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brew Hoop Podcast. Panic is looming in Bucks Nation, fellas. This is that's what the uh, the theme of this episode has to be after a tough, tough loss to the Knicks yesterday. But of course, we have to keep talking about the Bucks because that's what we do. That's what we love to do. And I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined as per usual by my faithful compatriots, Kyle Carr, Riley Feldman. Fellas, how are you doing on this beautiful Sunday? Uh, I'm doing all right. We had friends miss last night, had a hell of a cheese and meat board. So I'm still coming out of the food coma, but ready to talk about the impending doom and folding of the franchise. And Liverpool just beat their city rival Everton on a last minute BS goal in which I was celebrating probably the loudest in months. So it's been a good day so far. That's good. Well, I'm glad Liverpool wiped off the stink of the Knicks loss. Riley, that cheese plate looked delicious i want i wanted to reach through my screen and and eat it when i saw a picture of it yeah i might be willing to help out the readers and listeners and post a picture of it in the comments section of the post up on brew hoop of this so if you are interested in what a hell of a homemade cheesy meat board looks like go to the comments section you will find an image of it well i don't think uh there's any better way to kick this off than to start talking about the tough, tough loss to the New York Knickerbockers last night. 136 to 134, the Bucks fall. Uh, Chris Middleton barely plays in the game, only plays 19 minutes, effectively benched by Bud. Giannis and Eric Bledsoe did their best to try and pull the Bucks through, but in the end, the Knicks' crazy, crazy hot shooting helped them emerge victorious. I'm just going to give you guys... So this was something I was curious about, and I knew... I mean, the... I, this this game for me personally didn't bother me as much as some of the other losses. Just be, it seemed pretty clear about why we lost, which is the Knicks were shooting outrageously well. So I was curious how many games in basketball history has a team shot better than the Knicks did yesterday, where they shot at least thirty four three pointers, and it looks like only seven games ever has a team shot a better three point percentage than the Knicks did yesterday on their thirty four attempts. So. If you're curious about why uh, the Bucks might have lost, it's that the Knicks had some crazy historical shooting anomaly. Emmanuel Moutier, uh, a bricklayer, if there is ever is one, uh, was shooting the lights out. So that's uh, that's kind of what I'm chalking that one up to. Uh, Kyle, what were some of your initial impressions of that loss? Well, it was one of those things where the whole game, the Knicks would you know get within you know two or three points, and then the Bucks would go on a run and get back up ten. It just kept happening throughout the whole game and they got to the fourth quarter and it's like, okay, the bucks are up. And I think it was like 17 at that point. I was like, that's better. That's more what we were expecting. And the Knicks just kept hitting tough three after tough three, after tough layup, after tough mid range. And it was, it's just one of those where the bucks just couldn't get a basket and they couldn't get a call and they couldn't, and not to say like it was Russ fault at that point. It was just one of those where nothing went the bucks way. And you know, it's, I don't know. It's, I'm not upset about this one compared to, you know, the Phoenix game or even the Charlotte game. It's just one of those where when the other team hits 20 or 34 from three and 
a lot of those threes at the end were by guys that don't make shots like Noah Vonley and Emmanuel Moutier and, you know, Doxon, whoever that is. It, it, those are the games you're just not going to win. And that's just a clear sign. Like when that happens, you're just not going to win that game. And the fact that the Bucks only lost by, well, I don't even know, like two points, I guess that's acceptable. It, it's not acceptable that they lost, but considering the circumstances, it is what it is. Doesn't it kind of strike you guys as odd, the fact that it seems every team has their most historic shooting night of their entire franchise history against us? It seems, it feels like that's happened like on five or six separate occasions this year. And I don't know what to chalk that up to. Like the defensive system we've talked about before, like in theory, it works wonderfully for modern basketball, but it's just, it's just weird that teams go shoot lights out night after night against us. So that's kind of annoying. Well, this was something I was actually going to bring up later in the podcast, but this is a perfect time to do it anyway. So I think an interesting discussion point is certainly what is the system allowing people to shoot these shots at such a high effectiveness. And I mean, yeah, granted, it's clearly designed to allow people to shoot mid-rangers and give them slightly more leeway in terms of that regard. They even mentioned that on the on the broadcast the other day. They were talking about how the Bucks were, how, how Katie George had mentioned that in the huddle she heard Bud talking about how they were giving up mid-rangers and how he he said, hey, I just want you guys to stick with it. Like, it's it's, it's okay. That's the kind of shot that we want to give. We don't want to be overhelping and that kind of stuff. So it's good to hear that message reinforced. And if you look at how opponents are shooting against the Bucks. If you look at this is per cleaning the glass, uh, teams are shooting the best against the Bucks from the mid-range in the league, 45%. NBA.com has them at 44%, which I believe was ranked around fourth. But, I mean, if you look at the last – I was looking at the last two seasons and the best an opponent has ever shot uh, against a team over a full season was uh, against the Suns. It was like 42.6% last year. The year before it was like 42% against a team. So I mean, realistically, you have to expect that number to come down. And the medium was around 40%. So it, you have to imagine that over the course of a full season, that's not going to be sustainable for teams to continue shooting that well, especially from the mid-range. And then obviously the other big bugaboo uh, with Bud's defense is that it does give up a, a high percentage of threes cleaning the glass. It gives up the Bucks are ranked 29th in terms of percentage of shots that an opponent gets against them from three-point land at 36%. But you know, like the, the ones that you really don't want to give up are corner threes and the Bucks are ranked 11th in that regard. Uh, but meanwhile, teams are shooting 42.6% from the corner. So the Bucks aren't giving up that many shots from the corner, but teams are nailing them at a, the 20, you know, the fourth best rank in the league. So, you know, teams are shooting really, really well against the Bucks and uh, you know, from, from areas that obviously are going to hurt them, you know, in, Contrast to that, though, the Bucks also have the best field goal percentage uh, at the rim. So you might expect that to maybe, you know, go back up and revert to the to the mean a little bit more. But I mean, up to this point, it feels like it's just sort of been a teams are just hot shooting against the Bucks, and I, I I don't know if that's a product of the system or if that's just something that might eventually come down as the season wears on. This is the part where I throw in some herky-jerky whatever theories that if you allow teams to shoot the mid-range and then they get hot and then all of a sudden they're shooting 60% from three, which uh, I don't fully buy into, but um, maybe that's a conspiracy theory we can fan the flames of as the year goes on. <laughs> I don't know, Kyle. What, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, see, this is this has been like my primary issue with some of you know my, my primary thing with with some of the consternation that's certainly going around and i mean i get it it's frust really frustrating to lose to teams especially teams you view yourself 
as far superior to. But I mean, the process behind all this is is really effective. I, I mean, I, I can't really quibble with it. If I told you guys that 22 games into the season, the Bucks would be ranked first in offensive rating, sixth in defensive rating, number one in net rating. Uh, somehow their defensive rebounding would be the suddenly the best in the league. They have the best effective field goal percentage in the league. I, I mean, we would all be losing our mind. I agree with yeah, that. It's, I, it's, it's, sorry, go for it, Kyle. Well, more the how they're losing games, I guess. Like, if you really look at the games they've lost, you know, Celtics, that was record-breaking three-point shooting that I don't think sustainable ever again. Um, Portland, CJ McCollum is hitting every mid-range shot. You know, that's just that was a bad game. Bucks just did not have the firepower to compete with Portland when they were shooting as well as they did. Clippers, last second floater, um, Grizzlies, the Bucks. That was probably one game where the Bucks were like actually bad. And then yeah, otherwise, you know, Suns was another game where the Bucks were just did not take the Suns seriously and lost that game. Hornets, you know, I don't even know what that game was. It was just a weird game. And then last night, like all these games, besides maybe Portland, the Bucks probably probably could chalk that up to that was just a weird game and things just went wrong. And other than the Suns, there wasn't really a bad loss. Like Memphis isn't that bad of a team. Charlotte, they, you know, that's a road game. And Charlotte probably is better than we're giving them credit for. So besides the Suns, it's not like the Bucks are losing to bad teams like Chicago and, you know, Cleveland. This is a good team. And I think we just have to realize that this is actually a good team and we need to calm the f*** down. Sorry for my language. We're going to have to bleep that one out. Have, yep. Yeah, gonna bleep that one. We'll bleep that one out. Don't worry. We <laughs> oh. want to make sure this is safe for the kids. Uh, <laughs> no, right, I think right. I would just kind of follow along with that. That I think part of the frustration for a lot of people is, and this is kind of going over seasons now, is the fact that it, and this might be endemic of other teams. I don't really follow the teams as closely, but the fact that the Bucks continue to play down towards their competition. And this was a problem even in the kid era, which, I mean, there was plenty of other issues to kind of get caught up on. But, you know, the fact that you're kind of half bleeping it. Sorry, I'll self-censor uh, for that one. So have to go back and do the projection. Thank so you're you. half, half bleeping it against, you know, the Bulls, against the Knicks, against, you know, the Spurs, who aren't really the greatest team, et cetera, et cetera. The Suns, you know, the list kind of goes on. And I think that's what's probably most annoying. And then once you have that kind of initial annoyance, if the team doesn't clean it up and win, then you kind of get worried and then you start picking things apart. So I think that's probably has a lot to do with the fact a lot of the consternation has a lot to do with the fact that they have slow starts pretty consistently, which is annoying in its own way. Do you think, I, I mean, so do you think that some expectations though probably were set unfairly? I, because I don't, I don't know if they've certainly lately, I think maybe there's been, a, they've been a little playing down to their competition or that maybe they just haven't opponents have been shooting well, but I mean, earlier in the season, they were blowing out Orlando by like 22. They destroyed Minnesota. They beat, New York by 11 that granted that game was a little closer they absolutely obliterated Sacramento uh you know so I mean maybe we were expecting them to be winning all these games by 30 or whatever and you know now if they win a game by like 10 we're like I don't know was that good enough uh, they should be winning by 30 so I kind of feel like maybe expectations were set a little potentially too high for how they should be performing against these teams and absolutely you know slaughtering them especially at a time when offense uh, seems to be you know free flowing at a, in a way that it has in years yeah well, i think a lot I, of, oh, oh you go for a cop go no go riley go okay i was gonna say just kind of following up i think 
your point, Adam, about the expectations being set way too high too early is definitely poignant. And I think that's what's going on right now. And it's, I mean, if you think of the psychology of the fan base or being a fan, it's definitely, it makes sense, especially for Bucks fans, given the fact that we had this like pseudo abusive relationship under Kit, <laughs> and, you know, everybody hated him. It was the worst ever. I mean, my God, can it end? And then you kind of go in, you're a little tentative, like this should be better now that we have Bud. And then you come out the first seven games, you're just decimating team after team after team. And it, makes sense that everybody would have heightened expectations and now that teams are starting to kind of maybe figure out the buck system as there's more of a body of evidence to work with to kind of analyze um kind of regression to the mean even though the mean is much higher than it was even a year ago is going to be a tough pill to swallow especially with how you know positive everybody was and how good the feelings were the first seven games into the year what were you going to add kyle i was just going to say like I think maybe the expectations did get a little bit too high because, you know, yeah, the Bucks were just crushing teams by 20, 30, 40 points consistently. And I mean, that was never going to be super sustainable. And this all with the, you know, strongest schedule. But we also have to take into account that the team has had a little bit of, a, of an injury bug. You know, John Henson being hurt, Dante G. Vincenzo, Ursan, like those three guys being hurt, you're going further down the bench. And I mean, Sterling Brown has played really well in stepping up in those times, but Don Maker's been hit or miss. And when you have those kind of injuries, you know, it kind of throws the rhythm off. It kind of throws personnel off and you have to change things. And I think teams are exploiting that a little bit more. So I think that's also something to consider. And the Bucks still have, what, the second best record in the East and maybe overall in the league, if not third. So this team is still doing pretty well. I just think expectations I- was winning 65 plus games and running away at the Eastern Conference. And if I could just kind of follow up, though, the one area where I could say is it's fair to have expectations of this team to still be doing quite well. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's tough to be the top offense in the league and, you know, a top six defense in the league and not be routinely doing really well against opponents. So I think, you know, expectations being adjusting, kind of being fluid right now, regardless, you still have, you know, three really good top three players. You have a Brooke Lopez, like the guys you brought in are doing really well. You have a top offense, a top defense, et cetera, et cetera. So I still think, you know, there should be higher expectations for the way the team is, you know, the team is falling to the higher expectations. And to a certain extent, having a higher expectations, you know, should be the case given the way the team has played so far. Yeah. And I think it's fair to try and hold them accountable to that, which, so, I mean, it makes sense that we should try and, talk about this and if we're going through a period like this where we're like oh the bucks should be racking up these wins we should be you know getting all these these notches on on the bedpost so that we can be ready when it comes playoff time and we have all these wins banked and if we're trying to fight with toronto if they happen to go through a bad spell and we can get home court advantage that will certainly help us out in that regard so i guess i guess my main thing is i i i, th- I it feels like the process so far is, is is really really solid and sound and i think the wins will continue to come Maybe this is just a period here where opponents are just shooting the lights out or they're just going through something. I think Kyle's point is 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 important to remember that they did have to sort of rejigger a bit of the rotation on the fly here, especially at center. And, you know, typically Bud would probably include Urson in there and center at center if, you know, John Henson had gotten hurt. And now Urson's out as well, so that forces him to go even further. And of course, we still don't get to see any Christian Wood, but it was nice to see him light it up in the G League. It looks like DJ Wilson had 19 points last night too, um, which uh, really, didn't miss a shot. 
that's the most important part. Wow. I, I saw some highlights from his first game and I was trying feverishly to see if I could find stats for him. And I, I had to look around really far to even try and find him. So I was afraid that they had just like hid the stats and wanted to just hide that he didn't even play in that game. But Friday <laughs> news up for the win. <laughs> glad to know that he's uh he's being put out there. Um and his his performances are being highlighted. Uh do we, you know, I, sorry, do ahead. we want to talk about um, Chris at all real quick since that's yeah. just a wrap up on the next game? I don't know if we want to sh- before we talk about the larger things. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think um, I don't really have much in the way of thoughts about it. Uh, I don't feel strongly that I think it was probably the right move because Chris was not playing well. You could say like, oh, Bud hampered the team's ability to win down the stretch by taking Chris out. But Chris had a lot of not caring all that much in the terms of his body language. So um, I think it's fair expectations that if he's going to be, you know, the number two guy, he doesn't have to be like, you know, the lockdown defender. I think we've moved on from him being a three and D guy a long time ago, but um, definitely doing a little bit of effort and not allowing offensive rebounds and wide open threes would be super great in the future. Yeah, I have no issue with what Bud did because I think that's what you need to do. If you're not playing hard out there, then you need to get you shouldn't be playing. I mean, as much as we deride Kid for saying energy and effort, that would have been one where had Kid benched him and he said he wasn't showing enough energy and effort, it we would have been rolling our eyes and being pissed off. But at the same time, like it needed to be done. He didn't look like he didn't look like he was playing as hard as he could, especially rebounding the ball. Like I think Eric name had tweeted like Chris went for a, a rebound. Didn't really box out his guy. Didn't really try that hard. It kind of got batted out, passed it to an open guy. And Chris kind of just Jabari Parker asked, ran out to somewhat contest a shot. And, you know, when you're doing stuff like that, you shouldn't be playing, even if it is, you know, hurting the team. So I'm okay with Boone are doing this, you know, in December against the Knicks. And if this was, you know, April in the playoff series, then maybe I'd have a little bit more questions, but if you want to get your message across, this is the best time to do it. Yeah, I totally agree. That play was absolutely so frustrating. And I mean, he barely started playing there in the fourth quarter before that happened. That loose ball got batted out. He barely seemed like he wanted to even grab it. Then the Knicks nail a three over him when he's just, you know, casually making his way out there. It really seemed like, I don't know when the Bucks flew into New York, but it seems like maybe New York nightlife got him or something. I don't know. It feels like uh, he seemed like he was the guy who really didn't care to be out there. And that was, that was frustrating to see. And so I don't blame bud for wanting to try and send a message in that way. And you're right, Riley, if he's going to be the number two guy, I mean, it's a hard effort and energy level to live up to with Giannis being the number one guy. But I mean, like, you know, if Giannis is setting the tempo and Giannis is the leader, then Giannis should also be the guy who should be telling Chris. And I know Giannis isn't the, seem like he's the most vocal with his teammates. He, certainly is with refs like he was yesterday at the end of the game. But I mean, he should be following in Giannis's lead. If he's the guy who's supposed to be the second banana, at least at this point to the team. And Eric Bledsoe looked like that guy yesterday. Yeah, I think also part of it too, part of the frustration is in years past, you could kind of give Chris maybe a little bit of a pass on defense because in kids system, a lot of the offense, it didn't run through him, but it would be like a lot more of a grind for him to like get his shots essentially. And like his shot selection was a lot crappier. Whereas now, a lot of sets that are run are like relatively simple, like, okay, you're going to pop to the three point line and bing, bang, boom, good to go. Um, so I think now that there's an adjustment where it's not Chris, take the ball and go create and expend all your energy on offense. Um, it's fair for everybody to have um, 
higher goals for Chris on the defensive end. Again, him being a lockdown defender probably is going to happen given injury history and his age and et cetera, but putting in a little bit of, you know, effort, especially with like Eric Bledsoe, like you were just saying right next to you blowing dudes up constantly. So just a little bit more would be great. Chris. Yeah. Bledsoe looked, I mean, Bledsoe looks really engaged defensively, which is really nice to see. Here's one other, just one last thought and it's kind of from the next game and it might be a little broader is especially with Ursan out, we've seen like some, some of this Giannis at, at center stuff and you could see it defensively. And I just saw him yesterday at one possession doing like the Brook Lopez thing where he's hanging back on a pick and roll. And it just struck me as so strange. Like, I don't know why Giannis would ever be used in that way because that yes, yes, certainly the defense is designed to help, you know, mitigate some of Lopez's his weaknesses and Henson's and I don't know the, I don't, you can do whatever you want with maker. I mean, he'd probably be better hedging and doing that kind of stuff, but I just don't really trust him defensively at this point. But you know, if that's going to, I wonder if that's going to be a larger staple, if that, if Bud's going to have at least some sort of different defensive package to try and utilize Giannis in a more effective way than having him sort of be that floater. Cause I don't really see if he know if he's going to be able to like pick off balls or steal, steal stuff. If he's just in that, you know, sort of dead zone there. I don't know. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to see if they try and change the defense at all. Um, I, I know we haven't said, we said they haven't. I know we said like, they, it seems like Bud isn't going to change the defense, but just something to watch if, if Giannis plays center more often as the year goes on. Amen. All right. Okay. Well, now that we saw that and we uh, have thankfully um, saw a few plays from our savior, Dante, we get a chance to revisit our favorite segment with some actual meat on the bones. It's time for Dante's Inferno. The big this power, Dante. We can use it together. I think I can be a professional basketball player. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to figure uh, out what exactly the timing coming out of the uh, the graphic is there, or the uh, soundbite is. Yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> clearly, we're. Uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. But uh, all right, Kyle, what did you have? Uh, you you seem the most hype about this Dante return, at least in the outline here. What what do you have for Dante's Inferno this week? Um, can we just acknowledge the fact that Dante is back, and the defensive highlight that he had for the nine minute stretch against the Chicago Bulls, I believe. He didn't score, which is totally fine, <laughs> but he created three steals. He was a key part of the Bucks going on a run. Like Dante is 100% back. I don't care about the three point shot right now because just look at him on a defense. And this is what the Bucks were missing from their bench unit. You know, Pat Connaughton has been filling the role great, but Dante, man, is just fantastic right now. And I'm glad he's healthy and he's hitting threes against the Hornets. And, you know, that extra pass that he put for Brogdon for the three-pointer against the Knicks yesterday, it was a work of art. So I am all for Dante being back, and this segment is now better because of it. Do you have that next day delivery on the Dante jersey coming in, or what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Wait until after Christmas, because if I get one for Christmas, great. If not, then I'll buy one. Okay. <laughs> Which jersey um, would you get? Ooh, probably, probably City Edition. Not the city edition. I already lost that bet. <laughs> I already threw that wager on Twitter, and that's going to end well. So I'm going to go with probably probably the green. All right, Riley, what do you have? I don't have too much. Like uh, 
like Kyle was just saying, Dante's numbers haven't been crazy, but one, he's a welcome re-addition just to have more options on the bench because, like we were saying, it was kind of Pat Connaughton, and then um, if we needed any more minutes, it's okay, let's see what Sterling can do. And to Sterling's credit, um, he's done pretty well at least the past two games, so that's heartening. But it's it, it's crazy how much of a change in opinion I've had of Dante, and it's still like not like I think Dante's a key component like of championship winning team in the future for the Bucks, but like we were saying, you know, multiple episodes now, when he was first selected, I was like, oh my god, not this guy, like really, the guy who's named the Big Ragu, I mean, we can all go back and the <laughs> evidence is there, but to kind of turn around, and he still got some stuff to work on with his shot, his three-point shot, but it is impressive how many small things he's able to do. And even if he's not impacting the game as a scorer, which given the way the team is set up now in his role, he doesn't need to be, he's able to step in, provide a lot of energy and kind of run through screens and et cetera, and break things up on the defensive end, and then kind of facilitate the offense without having to do a lot himself. Like, you know, he's, I'm sure I haven't checked his usage rate, but I'm sure it's probably in the single digits. Um, so it's just impressive. I'm, I'm glad he's back. It'll be interesting seeing how we balance now Pat's minutes versus him minutes. Cause Pat been playing pretty well as well in the, in his absence. So we'll kind of see how that works out, but I'm happy to have him back. Yeah. So Dante DiVincenzo is just to follow up on that usage rate is 15.1%. So just a smidge above contents at 14.8 Tony Snell, of course, Bringing in the rear at 14.1. Delhi's at 14%. So actually surprised by that, even in his spot minutes so far. Um, but either way, uh, yeah, it's really nice to have Dante back. I'll echo Riley's continuing sentiments that I continue to eat crow on the Dante pick and my initial take on it. Uh, and if you actually look at his on-off numbers, I mean, they're they're really good. Granted, it's, it's really small sample size, 290 minutes. But with him on the court, the Bucks have a plus 13.8 net rating and uh with him off the court bucks also have a plus 8.8 but to have like to even have while you're on the court have a, a plus five net rating with the team is is really solid and you know he when he's on the court the bucks have a really strong defensive rating so i mean i think that speaks volumes about some of his defensive uh flashes that he's shown thus far for me he was hitting some really he was hitting some deep threes in charlotte which was really heartening to see because yeah his three ball hasn't been falling and i'm I'm wary of doing the, well, if you look at his release, it looks, you know, it looks really solid. Cause I felt like I was doing that with Rashad Vaughn for years and uh, that didn't we, work out. We are not shot doc shot doctors. So please don't come to us to fix your jump shot. Yeah, no, cer certainly don't. But um, you know, his release looks good. And, uh, <laughs> but if you, there's no hitch in that jumper, there's no hitch there. Uh, but let's see what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go with yesterday. I forget who was running around a screen, but Dante like ran into the elbow and um, he, I think it was probably Giannis and uh, Dante like threw up his elbows. You know, you know how I'm not trying to slander girls at all, but they would usually set picks, you know, on the, on the court by like holding their arms in front of their chest, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure. So Dante basically did that and like was trying to ram into Mitchell Robinson and then just like threw his arms out like a safety trying to like smack a wide receiver who just caught a ball and blow him up. So uh, I appreciated that. I don't think it led to anything, but uh, I like that Dante was doing it. I like that he was willing to put his body out there and try and uh, blow up uh, big boy Mitchell Robinson. So that was, uh, that's my take on Dante for the week. Uh, all right. It's good to have him back. It's good to have actual plays to talk about and not be talking sadly about him missing games. Okay. All right. 
Okay, let's move on to the next segment, which is I've just labeled assorted questions because I, I just had a few different questions I wanted to lob out at you guys now that we've talked a little more nitty gritty. So this is the first one I was kind of thinking about, and I've just been listening and we've been seeing a lot of quarter season awards and that kind of stuff from a bunch of different outlets. And almost unanimously, it seems like Giannis is, is being selected as MVP in a lot of areas. Uh, but, you know, a lot of some of the early season narrative, and I think he's, he's, you know, pushed some of this aside, especially as if you just look at the Bucks schedule and the basic box score, he's basically led the Bucks in points, rebounds, and assists for each of the last like eight games, Sands two, where Bledsoe happened to lead in assists. But it felt like some of the early season narrative was a lot more about hand-wringing over, does Giannis know his role? He's not really quite fitting in. Sylvan had that great article on, on Brew Hoop about just that very fact and idea. So, you know, Riley, what do you make of, of a little bit of the dissonance between the national media parachuting in and sort of being, you know, effusive in their praise, but some Bucks people having to sort of be more minute in, in their criticism of him? I think it's probably we can chalk it up almost exclusively to the fact that we're so hyper-focused on this team versus others who, like you said, they parachute in and I'm not sure how many could even, they could even point out where Milwaukee is on a map, dude. Um, (laughs) um, No, but I'd say part of what the issue, at least locally with Giannis and, you know, let's be honest, it's not even an issue. The guy is amazing. Like there's no ill will between ourselves or any fans and Giannis because without him, we're nothing. So, but I would say what the main issue early on was the fact that the team, and we had already discussed this early on the podcast, but the fact that the team had such an awesome start and Giannis, you know, still even had an awesome start, but there was like night after night, I was like, well, that's not Giannis's best game. That's not Giannis's best game. So there was kind of the hand-wringing in the fact that, you know, oh, wow, okay, so Chris Middleton, he's completely changed the way that he approaches the offensive game. His shot selection is way better. Oh, the defense isn't, like, horror-awful. Wow, look at how effective it is, et cetera, et cetera. So the fact that there were all these other things that it's like, okay, we've reached the mountaintop. The team is finally fixed, and we're going to win a finals. And then it was like, okay, well, Giannis is struggling a little bit. So I think that was kind of had a lot to do with the early hand ringing. And now that, you know, there are other problems, like whether or not Malcolm needs to get launched into the sun that are taking up everybody's um, – attention span and that Giannis is doing Giannis even more so I think a lot of the criticism locally is gone and now that the team is winning and it's kind of the fact that national media is starting to pay attention and give him his due is probably a good benchmark for how well the team is doing and how it's impacting the wider conversation so I think a lot of it just had to do with everything else looks so awesome that the fact that Giannis had a slow start to the year kind of got everybody a little sweating yeah Kyle what do you think uh, kind of the same thing as Riley. I guess the other thing I would mention, kind of like what he said earlier, is you know, team people aren't like watching the Bucks closely. So when Giannis pulls a you know 26 point, 13 rebound, four assist kind of game, they're just seeing the box score and they're like, oh, this is MVP type numbers. Like, this looks really good. But then, you know, in the fine print, maybe you see he took 22 field goal attempts or he missed eight free throws or he had five turnovers. And I think a lot of people are just like looking at his box score and looking at the highlights and they're like, yeah, that's an MVP. While for us, we're kind of looking and we're like, we know Giannis can play better. I mean, at this point, Giannis scoring 30, 30 points, getting 20 rebounds and eight assists. And that's like, a, okay, yeah, that's just a normal Giannis night. So I think for us, we know what a peak Giannis performance is. So we're just kind of like used to it. And it's more of a subdued kind of reaction while other, everyone else is kind of looking at it like, this is something that we haven't seen since Shaq or this is young LeBron-esque 
And I think that that's really the big point. I still think Giannis should be the MVP, but I can see why we here in Bucks Twitter are kind of and Bucks Nation in general are kind of like downplaying it because we're just used to it while everyone else is kind of seeing this and they're thinking this is like a new revelation. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I just wanted to, I was just thinking about that. So I, I appreciate both your responses to that. I feel, I feel pretty much the same way, especially as uh, I mean, it's nice to see Giannis get that publication. It feels like the other big guy really has just been Brick Lopez. Who's taken a lot of the national spotlight, um, especially for his, his, his splash mountain nickname. And uh, Mike Prada had a really good article about how he's, he's helping turbocharge this, this Bucks offense. So um, it's, but it's, it's cool just to see Giannis get, uh, get all these accolades, especially after, uh, you know, sort of circling that discussion for years. So nice to see. If you that. guys thought the uh, the hand wringing over his three point shot was bad before, just wait till the national media gets a hand of it. It's going to be the main topic for years to come. So prepare yourselves for that. Oh yeah, I know. They were mentioning on Duck Don the yesterday the other day, just like how historic, uh, historically bad he is right now at this point. Um, but uh, you know, it's fine. I'm glad he's still shooting them. Um, so keep it up, Giannis. You can keep shooting. All right. All right, next question I had. I was thinking about this because I've been trying to think about when we think about podcast topics and stuff that we want to talk about. And it's a lot easier when we're diving so deep on a team to find stuff like that. And I think about how the Bucks have, are off to an amazing start. You know, one of the best starts that we can imagine in a long time. They're like really, really high in terms of both offensive and defensive rating. And I think about how they're talked about on national podcasts and they certainly get some publication, but it feels like most of it is, is the discussion is circling around Giannis. Uh, and it kind of feels like this team is a little boring to talk about just because it seems to make so much sense. I mean, they're like, they're doing really well, you know, besides like some of the, the recent hiccups and it just kind of feels like, like they are just filing into the formula that we expect for a team that's going to win now, like a, mo a modern NBA team. They have Giannis and, you know, he happens to be dominating in the paint. And that's sort of the one thing that people highlight that's really interesting about this team. But, you know, the other thing is that, I mean, we're shooting tons of threes. It's like, well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to have been doing for years. Uh, you're supposed to rebound well. Um, and your defense, you know, which did get a little publication early in the year, but, now just kind of makes sense as well. It's like, yeah, they give up mid-rangers. That's what the math tells them that they should do. And really the thing that, uh, you know, defies some of those typical mathematical expectations that we would think is, is Giannis is really dominating in the paint at a historic rate. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you guys think this team is like kind of bland to talk about in any way? Is it just a, a, a product of me uh, being far too, uh, you know, feeling too like feeling like like cemented, comforted by the fact that we're finally doing modern basketball. What do you guys think? Well, Adam, since you're not really on Twitter that much, I'd like to <laughs> let you know that there was a fight over which sideline reporter is better between Katie George and Telly. Oh. So, no, this team is not boring. It's just that we, apparently we got to fight about something. So it's going to be sideline reporters, and both of them did a great job, and Katie's doing a great job. But oh my God. settle the debate, like, Kyle. Settle the debate. They're fine. It's a sideline report. Like they're both good at what they do. Like I have no preference. It's dumb that this was even a topic that was being argued about. But no, this team is not boring to talk about. It's just that now the things that everyone has to fight about are minuscule and more irrelevant to the actual team, and it has to stretch out to the broadcast booth and sideline. 
I would actually argue that the fact that uh, there was a debate over which side the reporter was the best is a indicative of a team that can be a little bit boring to talk about. Um, <laughs> but that can be for analysis later on. No, I think on, on one hand, it is, I mean, I don't know, again, we're, we watch every single game. So for us, it's not super duper boring, but it's just it, what, what's the narrative to really latched onto. We're way too early in the season to be like, Oh, well, here's how we would match up against X, Y, Z opponent in the playoffs, which can, you know, fuel the second half of the year. It's like too early to really talk about, you know, what are, what's the all-star buzz. Um, and then in the other teams who are like atop the East, whether it be the Raptors, Sixers or Boston, um, They've all got like storylines going in, whether it be Kawhi or, you know, the not, the fact that the Celtics were supposed to win 70 games and definitely doesn't look like they're going to do that or um, the process, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think nationally it can be a little boring to talk about because there's not like a ton of drama. I guess there's a little bit of worry about what's going on with the cap next off season. So maybe you can kind of talk about that a little bit, but the fact that they're playing basketball in such a way that's, it, it follows along modern precepts of what basketball is supposed to be. There's nothing like, Oh, here's this unique thing that they're doing. They're doing everything that general wisdom would kind of dictate that you do. And then once you get past that, then it's like, okay, well, Giannis is doing crazy stuff, but he's been doing crazy stuff for so long. And it's not like, wow, look at this guy coming out of nowhere. (laughs) Um, So I, I think it is a little bit boring, but I think that's a combination of they're playing a system where you don't have to get, you know, totally stressed out about how adequated it is. And then also we're still in, you know, I think just past a quarter of the season so far. So right now it's boring. I don't imagine that to last once we get to like the halfway point and the shaking out of the postseason kind of works out and we get towards the trade deadline. So we're just kind of in the weird early season desert of content. Yeah, I would agree. And I think it'll be nice when we have uh, a little more, I think halfway, like halfway through the season, it'll be really interesting to see how, this mathematical formula that they've decided both defensively and offensively is working in their favor. Cause we'll have a decent amount of a sample size by then to really figure out if this is something that we think will absolutely work. You know, it seems to be where, I mean, it's obviously so far it's working like gangbusters. And I think, you know, I, I, like you said, Riley, I mean, from a high level standpoint, I mean, a lot of the issues that we had with this team, which were foundational issues with how Jason Kidd ran a basketball team, aren't we can't really touch on those anymore and that's like that's you know obviously there's a lot of meat on those bones so instead we have to go to you know the the thighs and uh no the thighs are gone sorry we have to go to like nibble down to wherever the tiny bits of of meat are left on these bones and that kind of stuff and so that's where we get to the sideline reporter discussion or talking about if uh Malcolm Brogdon for example uh how he's performing even though he's technically putting together a career year and I know you two had a uh, you know a a sparring match online on brewhoop.com so you know I want to let you guys touch back on uh on that particular discussion um especially how uh, Brogdon's responded to clearly what you guys what he interpreted as you guys calling him out Kyle is the most slanderous person of all time. Malcolm, I've always been your biggest fan, and if you want to hire me, hire me as your agent, I won't be able to do much for you. But hell, I can put it together a uh, really half-hearted defense of you, if you want. <laughs> I'm not sorry for anything I said because it was all correct. And now Brogdon has decided <laughs> instead of trying to take the Whoa. ball and dribble it and dr- drive it to the hole every time. Maybe he should just be a spot-up shooter. And look at that. He's had his two best games of the season. I'm not sorry. If anything, Brogdon should give me, you know, some props for lighting the fire in him, if anything. 
I'm waiting for him to like get into like a post game interview. Like Kyle Carr, I know where you're at, bro. Like, he <laughs> looks right in the camera. Like I'm waiting you know for what you did. Tweet me in an interview. <laughs> like he does with kid. Yes, oh that would be awesome. No, I think um, you're right that the fact that there is this raging debate about whether or not Malcolm is the most worthless player of all time or somebody <laughs> who's like a key player. It, it, I mean, it's just totally typical of you know local fan base debate about any sort of random player that there's total extremes on both ends but i think it's i don't know these past two games haven't really changed the opinion all that much i think it's you know a positive that it seems like he's shown flexibility especially like in the bulls game to show flexibility to defer and you know spot up shooter defer to Giannis when it's possible take your shots when you get them Obviously, he's not going to shoot whatever. I think he shot 10 for 11 from the past two games. He's not going to be making that many threes from here on out. But I think it's just difficult because, again, we've seen all these other guys buy into the system, and Malcolm is kind of playing as Malcolm has played for the past two years, um, which I wouldn't describe it as selfish, but it's definitely a different style of play than like, okay, you're going to sit over here and shoot threes, and that's going to be what you do here. That's what we do on offense. So. I understand why there's dissonance about it, um, but I'm not sure if it's all completely warranted. Uh, it's obviously heightened also because he might get paid in the offseason, and who knows what that means for the team's future championship contentions. But anyways, I, I get why there's a debate, but I don't think it needs to be that serious of a debate. And he has played well. I'll give him credit for that. So I'm glad he has stepped up. Um, also, I think it's just going to be between Brogdon and Middleton on who Bucks fans will be more annoyed with throughout the season. Isn't that crazy? Isn't this, it, this is mind boggling to me though, considering the narrative surrounding Eric Bledsoe coming into the year. I remember when we did our top five people and I, I put Bledsoe at three or something and neither of you guys had him in, in top five. It's yeah. Crazy. I had Sterling Brown over him. So uh, I'm going to take the L on that one. <laughs> hey, I had Brooke Lopez ahead and that's paid off. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, no slander on your list. It's just not, it's just kind of crazy to me that, and I think you guys are well representative of, of some of the perception coming into the year though. I, you know, I, I think it's, it's crazy to me how quickly he seems to have turned around some of his perception among the fan base. No, I agree. I'm not sure how much of it to chalk up to uh contract year, Eric Bledsoe. Um, right. I mean that, uh, that playoff series against Terry Rozier, obviously you don't want to continue to harp on it, but that was tough. So I can understand why that might've depressed people's values. Um, and then, you know, he's a little bit older, et cetera, et cetera. But you're right that, I mean, I think it's probably arguable that he's the second most valuable buck of the year, depending on what you think is the most important aspect of playing basketball. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the brew hoop uh, in, in Mitchell Moore's, uh, of course, shout out Mitchell uh, for his uh, co-managing editor title alongside at brew hoop. If you look at his awesome first quarter season summary, article eric bledsoe is rated as the bucks you know most valuable non-yannis player you know by a decent margin 47 percent of the vote as opposed to 33 percent for chris middleton i mean it's just kind of it's just been crazy to me and i think a lot of that for me a lot of his value comes on the defensive end of the floor really where he really seems to be pulling his weight and i think you're right rally to call it call it out as you know a spade a spade and it is a contract year so you know whether he'd be able to continue that going forward is is, is an open question but circling back to Malcolm Brogdon you know I think obviously both of your discussion you guys both had valid points but I think that the, the thing that's interesting to me is if you look at basically you know he's had you know, really good counting stats and all that kind of stuff and honestly I mean the Bucks are playing well with him on the court if you look at cleaning the glass they have a plus 4.2 point differential you know that translates out to a you know expected 
win uh, count of 52 if, if a team was playing with that sort of differential all season long. And then if you look at his on-off differential, though, he's at negative 14.9 points per possession. So he's good, and the Bucks are good with him on the court, but with him off the court, the Bucks are even better. Uh, so I, I think that that's a good place to start because I, I think it's it's important for us to realize that, yes, Malcolm Brogdon has a lot of value. He shoots really well. Uh, maybe he does have to rejigger his role or rejigger his conception of what he should be within this offense. But if that's the case, could we just plug in someone who is, you know, doesn't maybe like to dribble as much or doesn't need the ball as much as Malcolm Brogdon to maximize his value? And I think that's a really important point and an interesting discussion and question that we should be thinking about as the season goes on and as we start to think about which of those guys maybe the Bucks will be bringing back. Yeah, I think um, it's uh, what's his usage rate. I think I have it up. His usage rate so far in the season, like 18.7, which isn't super duper high. That's like on the upper third of the players on the team. Um, it's just, it's weird because he was such like a light, such a darling in the dark kid years that, you know, now that everything else is kind of functioning, he's kind of the odd man out. And I think part of this too is like, finding the role for Malcolm and that was never easy even under kid that's why Tony Snell got so much run in the starting lineup is the fact that you know Malcolm isn't really built he could do it I'm sure if he put his mind to it but his his natural game isn't built towards like okay I'm gonna have like a single digit usage rate and I'm gonna be a part of the starting lineup and you know try to play passable defense and not harm anything so just kind of be there on offense and so that like the numbers, the on off and the net rating and everything you just said there, that kind of lends itself towards it. So it's just difficult finding a place for Malcolm because it's like, okay, if you put him on the bench, I mean, is he, you know, best there? Is he best as like just another, you know, potential go to offensive guy? So I think that's the dissonance that both Bud and then everybody else in the fan base kind of has to reconcile themselves with is what's his ideal role. And I think that's totally in question. I'm not sure if you know, we're going to see Tony Snell or Pat Connaughton get into the starting lineup and try that experiment again or what, but um, this definitely, there's a lot of question marks around it. Yeah. Yep. So we'll, I mean, we'll obviously keep an eye on that and uh, you know, if he continues to succeed, we'll um, give all credit to Kyle. Thank you. Uh, Obviously. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. All right, guys, let's just, uh, let's wrap it up with our, our typical look ahead to the next slot of, I, pegged it out as about six games we'll probably see before we record again and uh let's first circle back to what the bucks record was for the last crop of six games kyle estimated they'd go five and one riley and i both had them at four and two instead (laughs) they went three and three uh so not as great as we thought uh i wish i had been able to carry over some of my early season pessimism uh, but unfortunately, I didn't. I got excited. So let's let's first go over the games that we have here uh, coming up, and then we'll we'll all make our predictions here. So they face the Pistons on Wednesday night, December fifth, seven o'clock Central. Uh, same with Golden State Warriors. That should be a good matchup. Uh, and Friday, December seventh at eight thirty. Then they travel up to Toronto. Hopefully, Kawhi will actually be playing that game because I would really like to see that. As well as Giannis, that'd be nice if Giannis also played as well. It's on Sunday, December 9th. That's at 5 p.m. Then they travel back home for Cleveland on Monday, December 10th. That one starts at 7. Then they have two road games at the Pacers and at Cleveland. The first of which against the Pacers is Wednesday, December 12th at 6. At 6. And then at Cleveland is Friday, December 14th at 6.30 p.m. So, Kyle, let's kick it over to you first. Uh, what do you think they're going to go in those games? 
I think I'm going to try and temper the expectations a little bit. Um, I'll say four and two. I think they're going to have a stumble in Toronto. I think just on the road. I, I, I don't know. I just don't feel great about it. I still think they're going to beat the Warriors. And then they're really going. I think the Pistons game is going to be a little bit more of a trap than we expect. So I'm going to go four and two with losses to Toronto and Detroit, but beat Golden State and Cleveland and Indiana without Oladipo. Um, kind of looking through here, I think it'll be, I'm going to go for three and three. And I really hope those first three losses don't come on the next three games because otherwise, I mean, this team is going to literally self-combust. It will not be good. I think the Pistons game is interesting because they have like a totally not antiquated, I wouldn't say, but they have like a weird way that they go about the game with like Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin. Like Blake Griffin's having a crazy year, but how do you counter having that much like interior play, et cetera, et cetera. So that'll be kind of an interesting test to see how the defense reacts to that. Golden State, I think um, either Steph will be, I think he's either coming back the game before or that game is he's slated to return. So um, it'll be a different Golden State team than we saw earlier. So that'll be um, maybe a loss as well. And then Toronto, uh, no idea what to make of that. That'll be a, uh, how would you describe it? A top tier game, a marquee game of sorts. And then Cleveland Pacers, Cleveland's you hope that you knock them out, especially with Oladipo out. So I'm going to guess three and three, uh, be awesome if they do better, but wouldn't shock me if the Pistons game's a trap, like Kyle said, and then the other two are just uh, difficult. They might out-talent us a little bit. Yeah, the Milwaukee-Toronto game feels like an NBA TV special. Uh, oh, God, no, please. That's the worst please. part. I, I like thinking that if um, if that's the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, they're just going to they're just going to push it over to NBA TV, even though it's supposed to be on like TNT or, or ABC or whatever, whichever one has that. They're not even going to broadcast it. It's going to be like a (laughs) preseason game in Iowa. They're like, we don't even have broadcasting ability for this one. Sorry. It'll be available in Canada and Canada only. Yes. TSN. (laughs) Everybody find your TSN station, please. Uh, All right. Well, I'm going to mirror you again, Riley. I'm guessing three and three. Um, I'm not feeling great about this Warriors game. I feel like they might have a little... Uh, vengeance in their veins and especially with Kevin Durant playing as crazy as he is and and balling out and granted he may have to be adjusting to Stephen Curry coming back but I feel like they might be looking for a little vengeance there the Raptors I don't know that place playing up there is just a house of horrors for Milwaukee so I'm worried about that being a loss and then the other one um you know I don't know I I think we'll be able to take care of Cleveland and then I, I think the Pacers might be a little frisky. I can kind of see maybe Sabonis, you know, coming in and, and doing a little work against the Bucks backup centers, maybe taking Brooke Lopez to task. Um, yeah, I don't know. I could maybe see us dropping one at the field house down there. So I, I'm seeing three and three, you know, I, that's okay. You know, and uh, that's, you know, I'm not going to be horribly disappointed by that, especially when we're facing two of uh, during that stretch, we're facing two of the best teams in the NBA. So, so we'll see where the Bucks come out on the other end. But uh, for now, I'd like to ask both of you, because it's December and I'm someone who enjoys the holiday season, what's your go-to holiday movie? Riley, you oh. first. Uh, oh. oh, well, okay. So we're we're what I would uh, term a modern family. And by that, I mean totally lame. And generally, my family watches Elf featuring Will Ferrell. So uh, everybody can hit me in the comments on that one. Why is that lame? 
Well, I don't know. I feel Whenever, like that's a cliche it, answer. What, what do you mean it's a cliche? The issue <laughs> is I'll go to events. Cliche. Yeah, it's true. I'll go to events, and the issue is like it's not cliche enough. You know, it's not Rudolph or uh, a Christmas Story, which neither of which I've seen from start to finish. And if I pass from this earth not having seen either of those, I'll be okay. You've never um, seen Rudolph. Uh, well, I've seen parts of it. Like, you know, I know they have like the um, marathons. I've only seen probably total like 25 minutes of it. it claymation ain't for me. So oh. sorry. What? Maybe that'll be my Scrooge. assignment for the next Yeah, Riley Scrooge Feldman. Ooh. <laughs> oh, my God. Watch out. Right. Watch out, everyone. Uh, okay. <laughs> great, great advice. Watch that cult classic elf. Yep. Well, Kyle's <laughs> is the cranberry sauce story. So whatever. Hey. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have a more reasonable answer this time. Um, <laughs> a dark horse that I had was Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm. That was a mm. great one. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to go with The Grinch, either the cartoon one or the Jim Carrey one. Probably the Jim Carrey one, though. I haven't seen the new cartoon Grinch. No, like the old cartoon. Oh, the old one. Okay. Yeah, the old one. 1930s, they just figured out how to do color animation like that one. Yeah, I can can get behind that. Um, You you know what one? I I mean, I'm even more cliche than Riley, so I'm sorry for uh, giving you some crap. My family always watches It's a Wonderful Life on Christmas Eve. So I'll watch that. But my my, my main go-to holiday one is the Santa Claus with tim allen that's a good one really that's a good one did you really just say that (laughs) it's a great one it's an amazing film it's 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 actually funny kind of um you you know they it has it's 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 wonderful and tim allen you know it's a a perfect holiday vehicle for him um the scene where they go into denny's is one of my favorites except the kid is really annoying the the yeah the kid is annoying i mean but it's like you know most kids in holiday movies are annoying so I like the Santa Claus. Just the first one kind of went off the rails for two and three. And I think there was might have been a fourth one. I was going to say, I don't want to be like, you know, one of the countless podcasts that also doubles as a movie discussion podcast. But um, the fact that it somehow got to like Santa Claus 63 uh, is (laughs) it's a testament to how shallow Hollywood is. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Yep. Perfect. There we go. Woo-hoo. Uh, cheers to everyone. Thanks guys. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, you know, we'll be, we'll be back again in about two weeks. Talk some more. Hopefully the bucks will uh, be on a winning streak again. We'll just be happy and cheery heading into um, and even the, the thick of the holiday season then. But in the meantime, you can make sure to uh, follow uh, at brew hoop on Twitter for everything that we're doing. Uh, as a collective group, great articles going up on brewhoop.com as always. And, uh, you know, we'll be, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. You can leave us a review there if you like. That always makes our hearts full of holiday cheer. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be back with you again in about two weeks. Thanks again for listening. On the streets of old Milwaukee. A young boy walking